0: What's up Raider Nation, Matt Holder from Silver and Black Pride here. I hope everyone enjoyed the stress-free wildcard weekend as we're on to the divisional round of the playoffs this weekend, but it's the off-season for the Las Vegas Raiders, so that will be the focus of our show today as the rumor mill is already underway. Of course, we also have your mailbag questions to go over, so let's do it. I'll kick things off with the best news coming out of Las Vegas as the Associated Press released its annual All-Pro teams this week and three Raiders made the cut running back Josh Jacobs, wide receiver Devontae Adams, and kicker Daniel Carlson. Jacobs, of course, won the rushing title and was pretty much a lock to be a first-team All-Pro. Adams broke the franchise record for receiving yards in a season and led the NFL in receiving touchdowns and was one of three receivers selected, joining Minnesota Vikings' Justin Jefferson and Miami Dolphins' Tyreek Hill. Carlson set an NFL record with 11 made field goals, 11 yards or more, and edged out Justin Tucker of the Baltimore Ravens, who was the second-team choice. This was Jacobs and Carlson's first all-team, first team all-pro selections, and the third in a row for Adams. The glaring omission for the Silver and Black was Max Crosby, who was narrowly left off the AP's second team, according to Josh Dubow, as the San Francisco 49ers Nick Bosa and Dallas Cowboys Mike Parsons received the first team honors at edge defender, and the Cleveland Browns, Miles Garrett and Philadelphia Eagles, Hassan Reddick, were the second teamers. Speaking of Josh Jacobs, former NFL agent and current NFL contract analyst for CBS Sports, Joel Corey, weighed in on Jacobs' next contract via Twitter. What makes sense to Josh Jacobs on a long-term deal may be different than what the Raiders think, Corey tweeted. If I'm repping Jacobs, my first contract offer would reset the running back market more than Christian McCaffrey's $16 million in change per year after leading the league in both rushing and yards from scrimmage. Corey then followed that tweet up by stating that he suspects Jacobs will end up with a contract closer to Nick Chubb's $12.2 million per per year deal, but the rushing champ will still seek upwards of $10 million per year. So, if you've been listening to me for a while, this isn't news per se, but there you have it from a different source and someone who's been in the NFL contract biz for a while. Since we're already talking money, let's keep that energy going as ESPN's Field Yates recently shared every team's declared unused 2022 cap space rollover amounts. The Raiders have the 5th most unused cap space at a little less than $6.7 million. After the playoffs, the NFL will audit incentives, bonuses, etc. for each team, and that figure will be added or subtracted to the declared unused 2022 cap space amount. So, General Manager Dave Ziegler could end up with just under $7 of extra money to play with this offseason. On a similar note, Pro Football Focus's Arjun Menon recently conducted a study where he quantified each team's resources to improve its roster heading into the offseason, factoring in draft capital, effective cap space, and proratable money, placing a higher weight on each category in that order. Las Vegas currently has 11 draft picks, putting them in the 90th percentile of the study, about $11.8 million in effective cap space per OverTheCap.com, which is in the 70th percentile, and their proratable money is just shy of the 70th percentile. That gave the Raiders a score of 90.3, the 4th highest in the NFL behind the Houston Texans, Chicago Bears, and Seattle Seahawks. However, the cap space number is with Derek Carr's contract on the books, so the Raiders could leapfrog the Seahawks once Carr is traded or released, meaning they have a bevy of resources to improve the roster and no more excuses. Some of those resources could be used to bring in soon-to-be free agent quarterback Tom Brady into Las Vegas. According to our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook, the Raiders have the second highest odds to sign Brady at plus 250 behind only his current team, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are a plus 200 bet, so not too far off. Other contenders include the San Francisco 49ers, plus 350, New England Patriots, plus 750, Miami Dolphins, also plus 750, and the New York teams, the Giants and the Jets, round out the crew, both at plus 900. Part of the reason the Raiders odds are so high is Ian Rappaport of NFL Network said on NFL Game Day that the Silver and Black are among one of three teams to consider to land Brady if he decides to leave Tampa Bay and continue playing. The other two teams Rappaport named were the San Francisco 49ers and Tennessee Titans. Also, per Ross Mikhazi, Win Las Vegas, a partner of the Raiders, announced a partnership with Brady and tv 12 So, it sounds like the GOAT is diving into some business ventures in Las Vegas. Could that be a sign he's going to sign with the silver and black? We'll have to wait and find out. On a related topic, Zach Kiefer, Indianapolis Colts beat writer for The Athletic, tweeted that the Colts will not be trading for quarterback Derek Carr in the offseason, as some have speculated given the Colts' recent history of bringing in veteran quarterbacks. That doesn't mean Indy won't sign Carr if he's released, but it sounds like we can cross one potential trades partner off the list. The Senior Bowl is just around the corner as practice starts on Tuesday, January 31st, And the national team will have a familiar face leading it as Raiders defensive coordinator Patrick Graham has been named as the head coach. Joining Graham on the All-Star Game staff will be Raiders defensive assistant and pass rush specialist Matt Edwards as Edwards will coach the defensive line. So I paid extra attention to the draft prospects on the national team this year as Graham and Edwards will get to know the players throughout the week. And usually teams end up drafting a few players that their coaches got to know or coach during the senior bowl. The NFL is in the process of piecing together the 2023 schedule, and this week they announced which teams will be hosting international games this year. The Buffalo Bills, Tennessee Titans, and Jacksonville Jaguars will play in London, and the Kansas City Chiefs and New England Patriots will host in Germany. The two you need to keep an eye on are the Buffalo Bills and Kansas City Chiefs, as they are the only two teams mentioned who the Raiders will play on the road this year. That being said, the NFL typically likes to use those matchups between AFC and NFC teams, and has only had five divisional matchups played internationally. So there's a good chance that the Raiders stay on this side of the Atlantic this season, but we'll have to wait and find out for sure. Here we go, mailbag time. And as your weekly reminder, if you'd like to have your questions answered on a future show, either tweet them at me, at 95 or email them to sbpquestions1 at gmail.com, at mholder95 on Twitter, or sbpquestions1 at gmail.com via email. First question, are you going to the Senior Bowl this year? Anyone in particular you're interested in on the defensive line? Unfortunately, this year, I'm not going to be at the Senior Bowl. Bleacher Report is sending me to the uh, Shrine Bowl this year. So I'll still be at an All-Star game, but obviously not at the Senior Bowl like I have the last couple years. So if you guys have any questions about Shrine Bowl, guys, make sure you get those into me because I'll be there this time next week, which actually is a good segue right here. Not going to be a podcast next week, guys. Like I said, I'm going to be out on the road, so I won't have time. But back to the original question, anyone in particular at the Senior Bowl that I'm interested in at the defensive line? I'll give you three different names. First one's going to be Siaki Aika. Uh, he's from Baylor, big defensive tackle. I think I might have talked about him on here before, but a dude who's played at about 360 pounds. I'd like to see him play at closer to around 340, but at 360, he can move really well, um, especially for his size. Obviously a powerful dude, as I'm sure you could have imagined. Hard to move against the run. Uh, his junior tape, or his tape last year, I should say, uh, was a lot better than his past year, so... Again, I think he put on a little bit of extra weight, so I'd like to see him get down and again cut cut to 340. But a guy that can move really well and it's going to be a great defensive tackle has a lot of pass rush upside. Would definitely help in the run department. Picture a, a little bit taller Andrew Billings, but with a little bit more juice coming off off the ball. Uh, second guy is going to be Nick Hampton, going to be an under the radar guy from uh, Appalachian State. I really like him as an edge rusher. A little bit undersized, but I think he can be an excellent pass rusher. Got a pretty good repertoire. One of the fastest get-offs I think I've seen so far in this draft class. So a guy that I think could be a really good project and that um, I think could be a good pass rusher. Don't know how great of a fit he'd be in the Raider system, but again, he can get after the quarterback, and if he can go get pressure on third down, Patrick Graham will find a way to get that guy in. Uh, The third, probably not going to be as much under the radar, but Zach Harrison out of Ohio State. Kind of pretty much much the opposite of Hampton. um, NFL ready body more of a more of a hand in the ground defensive end type of guy um not going to be the greatest athlete he's okay as a pass rusher i'm not exactly sold really like him as a run defender really powerful dude another guy that i think the i could be a could be a great asset in the, that day two range so there's my three for you guys siaki aika who's a late first early second uh, projection hopefully he slides to the second for the raiders maybe positional value Nick Hampton probably more of a day three guy, but a guy that could, could be a sleeper in this class. And then Zach Harrison, uh, one of those second to third round guys. Next question: Why is David Carr taking shots at Dave uh, Tom Brady? I truly believe that David has hurt his brother's image over the last few years by being so protective in the media over his brother. And then kind of goes on in a little bit more of a, a little bit more of a lengthy rant about all that stuff. And for those of you who don't know, for some context, uh, David Carr a few weeks ago had basically said that he was going to spill the tea on what happened with the Raiders on uh, his nephew's podcast because he was—I forget what exactly what term he used—but basically NFL Network. From if we read between the lines, NFL Network, tell them you're not going getting away with that rant on on the air. So he goes to his uh, his nephew's podcast, as everyone else would. Um, then yesterday, or we've been sitting here waiting for the podcast to come out, for that episode to come out. And then on Thursday, he released a video saying it's not going to come out anytime soon, and talked. He said he was going to talk about all the stuff that went on with the Raiders and Carr, and um, and then brought up the idea of Tom Brady coming to the Raiders, and just kind of snickered and scoffed at it. So obviously, everyone had a Twitter field day with all that good stuff, as I'm sure you could have imagined, with David Carr having the immaculate or great res, uh, success he did as a starting quarterback, you know, compared to Tom Brady. No, like, good stuff, and David then tried to backtrack and say he wasn't taking a shot at Tom Brady, yada, yada, yada. But basically, the one point that I will say here is I don't know if it was necessarily that much of a dig at Brady. I mean, it probably wasn't. No, I'd take that back. He was definitely digging at, at Brady. I'll take that part back. Um, but one thing that I did kind of want to hit on that you kind of touched on here with your follow-up and, the, and your question is, I feel like I said for a while that Derek Carr's worst PR or his is his family or his brothers because you're right they do sit there they make excuses for him they're all over social media whining and and complaining about stuff and making it shifting the blame off someone else and they're not shy about it too they're brash about it in your face about it and constantly do it and I said for a while I feel like Derek Carr's uh worst PR move or the worst thing that can happen to him for his image is or his two brothers now some people speculated that's that's Derek talking through his brothers that's why he doesn't shut them up because um, as we know, Derek's not that type of guy and uh, the public guy. I don't think he's that, I don't think he's that maniacal. I think his brothers are just looking out for little bro, and I don't know, maybe he doesn't feel like comfortable enough to to say something to him or he doesn't think it's that big of a deal. But yeah, no, I totally agree with you. David and Darren Carr are the worst thing that can happen for Derek's Derek's image. And I honestly think that Derek Carr would probably be more liked, more universally liked, I should say, within the Raiders fan base if it weren't for those two. On Twitter at least on Twitter he'd be more popular but it is what it is we'll sit here and keep waiting David I guess until you you as you hold us hostage with this juicy juicy story that um, you apparently have anyway Question three: How can PFF say that the Raiders have a top-rated offensive line? So another to add more context to it for you guys: at the end of the season, P- or every week PFF released their O-line ranking. At the end of the regular season, they had the Raiders ranked tenth. Um, they started at thirty-first, which is one hell of a climb. Uh, I can tell you, I'm—I don't think the—I—I I don't watch every single team, every single game, so I don't know exactly where I would put the Raiders' offensive line. But I do think I would probably put them in the middle of the pack. 10 um, obviously would be what's what is that the top third of the NFL? Probably a little bit higher than I would put them, but I do think with the to look at the Raiders offensive line, especially with what we were expecting it to be and what it's been. I mean, Colton Miller's been a stud all year, like you guys have heard me the last few weeks. I've been talking about how well Jermaine Illuminor is playing. It was really the interior three that were the problem, and at that, it was Alex Barnes who was the really bad problem. Obviously, Dylan Parham's a rookie, and he had his struggles, and especially in pass protection. So, but again, he at least has potential. And then Andre James just didn't get any better and honestly took a step back, but still wasn't a miserable center. So I don't think the Raiders' offensive line was as bad as we ended up thinking it was going to be. That being said, I do still think top 10 was a little bit high. And like I said, I think both tackles, both tackles, Luminor and. and um, Colton Miller, I can't believe I was blanking on his name. Both played like top twenty guys. Miller was the highest graded uh, PFF graded offensive tackle in the AFC this year, so that's going to help boost the overall grade. And then PFF, they had him as a pretty low run grade, but they are as the Raiders' offensive line as a whole, I should say, in um, and pa- and, uh, run blocking and then in pass protection, they actually were were up towards the top again because mainly because of those last those uh, two tackles. So when I think you look at the Raiders' offensive line got to figure out what or got to figure out what to do with Jermaine Luminor and how much to bring him back on but I think what you're really looking at is you're looking at finding guys that are better on the interior 3 so I think the offensive line as bad as I said it has been in the past and as bad as I was or as worried about it as I was at the beginning of the season as, as was everybody they at least have two good tackles that they can book in for a little bit now I don't think Luminor is the guy for the future so I would still would still wouldn't mind drafting somebody but again I think they got a lot of really good play from the two tackles and it was just the interior three that was a struggle. And at that, it was Alex Barris was the only one who was completely miserable. Number four, why is there so much trade talk when it comes to car? His deal kicks in before the new league year, and the trade won't be official until after the new league year. There's no way the raiders will take a chance on having to pay Derek, right? I don't get it. Please help me understand. So, more of a clarifying question here. The best way I can describe this situation is If you remember a few years ago before the Chiefs turned the reins over to Patrick Mahomes, that offseason, season, uh, the offseason leading up to Patrick Mahomes becoming the starter, they traded uh, or they announced they traded uh, Alex Smith to Washington and around this time, I think at the end of January, it ended up being. So what happens in those situations is you agree to the trade in principle. So in, in theory, Washington could have backed out at any time. And that's the situation you're talking about of not wanting to take a chance with pay with Derek. The thing with that is, as a GM of another team, you don't want to get that image because you don't want to be someone who's just backing out of trades that you agreed upon, because that will then nobody else will trade with you. So I think that's part of where you kind of get a little bit of confidence. And the other thing too is with their contract. Yes, it won't. Yes, the his pay or his guaranteed money hits three days after the Super Bowl, and the trade can't happen until the new league year. But they can extend that deadline. Yeah, yes, Derek has also said he's not, or Vic Tafer has also indicated that he's Derek's not going to extend that de- deadline. But if the Raiders have a trade in place, and with Carr's no trade clause, Carr and his agent are going to be involved in the trade talks, so they'll have a deal that they're comfortable with, and you can turn to Derek and say, hey, can we at least extend this till the day after the trade or whatever it is, So or extend the deadline after the trade so that we don't get hit with this, or we don't have to risk getting hit with this big uh big check and you're still going to get everything you wanted. whereas if you don't have a trade then Derek's not has no incentive to, to drop that but if they have a trade at least and done in place that again Derek will know about and will approve of because he has the no trade clause then you can turn to him and say hey let's extend this deadline or what I was just talking about you got to pre- feel pretty confident that whatever GM isn't going to risk their reputation and isn't going to risk having that on their reputation um, as a GM who kind of welches on trades or goes back on deals. So that's kind of the hope. But like you said, you kind of point out one of the risks of training him and why some people point to his outward release. Again, I kind of have the feeling that they might have to release him. We'll see how it goes. Again, I kind of go back and forth on it. I think last week I said, it it might get something for him. But yeah, that's kind of where it happens is, yes, the trade won't finalize, but you can kind of work around that that deadline and and, uh, figure out how to kind of maneuver it so that you can take away some of the risk. Um, And then there's obviously some Kind of unwritten rules at play here. Next up, I've heard suggestions that the Raiders could pair Carr with another player, such as Renfro, to sweeten the deal. I don't see why Carr would waive his no-trade clause, but I hadn't considered this. Do you think there's a duo that wouldn't hurt the team that and uh, and get some usable draft picks? So first of all, the reason why Derek Carr would trade it tra- or waive his no-trade clause is. If he goes to the open market, chances are with how low his stock right now is after getting benched and all that, he's not getting the contract that he signed in the offseason. So if he wants to keep that money and keep making the $40 million that he's going to guarantee, he'll waive the no-trade clause if, he, if the Raiders find a, a destination that he's like. That's why he would waive it. So I think there is a chance that he'll waive it. Um, obviously, he has to agree to it, but yeah, I think there's still a good chance that he would at least be willing to do that. Um, as far as is there a duo that they could use somebody – or is there a duo that they could combine with Car to help sweeten the deal? The Renfro option is interesting. I, by the way, I haven't seen this, so I don't know exactly where this is coming from. But as far as other players to answer the question that could sweeten the deal, I guess Renfro would be one because he's obviously a player that people would be interested in. But I don't know if I don't think they would get rid of him. I wouldn't want to get rid of Renfro by them because then you got to find another slot receiver. Uh, If anyone, I would put Darren Waller in that category. But again, I don't think they're going to want to get rid of Darren Waller, especially now that they're going to have extra caps paid with a car off the books. So I don't really see an offensive player. The only guy that really comes to mind that I think would be intriguing for another team that the Raiders could live without would maybe be like a Trevon Merrick. if a team liked him in the draft and was looking for a safety. Obviously, Merrick's stock's not very high. He had a pretty bad year this past year, but he was good as a rookie. So he would probably be the one guy that I could see the Raiders moving on from. And as far as affecting the team, Merrick was not good last, last year, so they could easily walk away from him if they can get something to sweeten that deal. But yeah, I don't know if there's another player that the Raiders can give up that wouldn't make the that would impact the team too much. So I would honestly venture to say if that were the case, if some another team's asking for like someone like Renfro, they'll probably just end up cutting Derek. Because the Raiders, if they're going to want to win next year, they're they're not really going to be in the, in the market of giving up their good players. They're, they're buyers. They're not sellers, except when it comes to the quarterback, of course. But yeah. Last question here, and it's a three-parter, so I guess last three questions here. Have you checked out any FCS prospects this year so far? I'll go ahead and answer that one right now. No, I have not gotten that far into the depths of my scouting just yet. Who are my favorite later-round prospects? And outside of Stenson Bennett, are there any other late QBs that you like? So I gave you one late round prospect in Nick Hampton earlier. He's a guy that I really like. The other one that I'm seeing to be higher on than a, most, a lot of people is going to be Owen Papo, linebacker out of Auburn. He's a guy that doesn't have a lot of physical tool or physical gifts like size or anything like that. He's only one. That probably means that the combine will probably measure about six feet um, and not the biggest guy at 235. But he's a hell of an athlete. I think he's a lot stronger than his frame would suggest. So he's the linebacker that, again, I'm a lot higher than a, than a, a lot of people are. So I would like him in the later round, especially if they too, if he does uh, end up lasting that long and the Raiders can come swoop him in. I think he'd be a good linebacker to pick up. And then outside of Stenson Bennett, are there any other late QBs you like? Um, so I would probably go with the, the only guy that outside of the first round or the big four, if you will, which would be, Young Stroud, uh, Richardson, and uh, Levis, that I kind of am intrigued by at this point, would probably be uh, Tanner McKee, quarterback out of Stanford. Guys, six foot six, about two thirty five, kind of looks the part, if you will. Uh, hasn't doesn't have great numbers, didn't have great production in college. Wheels kind of fell off the wagon when he was at Stanford. Um, I don't. It was the end of the David Shaw era. They, they went away from their traditional offenses past year into that slow mesh, mesh stuff that seemed to really screw with them. But a guy that when he does have time and when he does have people throw the ball to, which he didn't have a lot of at Stanford, really made some nice plays, was a was a highly touted recruit and a guy that I'd be intrigued in in maybe the second or third rounds if they end up missing or trying or looking for a guy in that range to maybe develop for a year or two if they get somebody in as a veteran. But yeah, Tanner McKee would probably be the other guy that I'm looking at Hendon Hooker could be also be another option I know a lot of people know of. Um, obviously, what that knee looks like after Taron's ACL at the end of last year will be a big factor in that. And another guy, too, because of that injury, you're going to want to have someone in place already for a year or two before he's uh, healthy and ready to get on the field. All right, guys, that'll do it for this week's episode. Make sure to kick back and relax another enjoyable weekend of some playoff football this weekend. As always, Thank you guys for listening. Make sure to rate, review, subscribe, and download wherever you listen to podcasts. And as your reminder, no episode next week. I'll be out of town. But other than that, talk to you guys next time.